Welcome to the Sisters Community Church Podcast. By this we know that we abide in Him and He abides in us, because He gave us His Spirit. Well, in this episode, Pastor Steve Stratus continues our series in 1 John, where we learn about the Holy Spirit's role in our ability to love each other and be loved by one another. Let's listen. You know, we have been, over the last four or five months, uh, walking through the first epistle of John. And we've recognized that John is constantly trying to encourage us. He wants us to walk with assurance. He wants us to walk with confidence. He wants us to understand who we are. And he began his epistle by talking about the fact that he and the other apostles had walked with Jesus. They saw him, they heard him, they touched him. He was there and it was real and it was factual and it was objective. And the reason that he's writing the epistle is because to all those that would read it, he wants them to share in the fellowship that they experienced. And they want, that he wanted their joy to be full. And they began to, through the epistle, talk about areas in which we can develop intimacy with God. And we've talked about the three tests, the, the, the moral test, if you will, that John is calling uh, the readers to be obedient to the word and to, um, in a conscious way, practice spiritual disciplines and engage God and grow in that way. He also talks about loving one another and how, because God has loved us, that we ought to love one another. And then he talked about the word itself, the doctrine, especially the incarnation as he was battling with those that were wanting to separate the material from the immaterial or the mystical, so to speak, from the truth of what God was doing. Because one day, restoration will come to this material world and we'll all get new bodies, if you will, and the world will be restored and it will be the glory of God being manifest. And so that's all a part of what John is writing. But the interesting thing is, how do you do that? I think sometimes we feel that we're to go out and do those things. And I don't know about you, it's, it's not so easy. It's, it's not easy to love your husband when you want to kill him, right? Or your wife. It's not easy to, to be... Uh, Engage and obedient to the word when you have this incredible self-will and you want to do what you want to do and you think that your understanding of how to fix the situation is a better idea than God's. But there's something that I think John places in here over and over again that I think is key to how we live the Christian life. And I want to read you three verses. Um, they're one from chapter three, one chapter four, chapter five. Um, that engages, I think, what, Jean, what John is asking us to participate in because without it, loving one another is impossible. Being obedient to the word is impossible. Really making doctrine and our faith the most important thing is impossible because we are human beings that something has happened to. And when it happened to us, when we were born, we inherited this self-centeredness. 
So let me read to you 1 John 3, 4, and 5, just a verse each, and you can see what I'm talking about. It says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands live in him, and he in them. And notice, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Look at verse, Ryan talked about this last week, and he stopped at verse 12, talked about loving one another, and this is how we love one another, because God has come to us, and he's demonstrated a love in giving his son sacrificially that we might have new life through resurrection. So notice what verse 13 says, this is how we know that we live in him, and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Verse 14 says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Look at verse 18 of chapter 5, 1 John 5, 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. So over and over again, John, in the midst of making these statements about these three tests, tells us that the way to be an overcomer, the way to walk in him, the way to love one another, the way to honor doctrine is to receive the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God is the most mysterious part of the Trinity, right? Because the Father, he takes up the whole Old Testament, and every once in a while, he'll send the Spirit to empower or anoint different people that he has for different services. And obviously, the whole New Testament is about Jesus. But Jesus made some interesting statements. He said, I need to go away because if I don't go away, the Spirit won't come. The Holy Spirit that will be another comforter to you, an advocate to you. And he will remind you of the things that I have spoken and so would you pray with me for a moment as we just look at this? Father, thank you um, for your gift of the Spirit. And we know, God, that it's not simply believing, but it's receiving. John tells us in his gospel that to as many as receive him, to them he gives the authority to be children of God. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would be very present with us this morning. I know, Lord, as we enter into these baptisms, we want your spirit to move in our midst. We know, Lord, that without the spirit, there is no baptism into the church, Paul says, for we who have received Christ have been baptized by his spirit into the body of Christ. So, Father, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would enlarge our thinking and especially the power of God in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. You know, when I think about being a Christian, I think sometimes we have a, a misunderstanding about what Christianity is. And John has been communicating over again what the nature of Christianity is. But I think it's important for us when we think about the Bible... It's not a bunch of data points that we connect. 
That's not Christianity. And we live in a world where there are sound bites all the time, and we look to those sound bites for our truth and our information, and we put them together, and we come up with a conclusion, and we believe that we've arrived at the truth. But Christianity isn't a bunch of data points. Christianity is a bunch of happenings. When we think about the Bible and we walk through it, from the very beginning, Christianity is a story a story of what God was making happen. Now, probably all of you, and I read a book, Terry and I listened to a book uh, in the car once called Whatever Happened to You? Or What Happened to You? Because that's oftentimes a better question than who are you? Because most of us are people who have been shaped by the very events that have taken place in our lives. And oftentimes those events that have taken place in our lives are incredibly painful. Matter of fact, traumatic. And oftentimes when we think about people, even the people that are here, people are maybe being baptized, there are things that have happened in all of our lives that have shaped us that we're not very proud of. And the initial thing that actually we have to accept that has been a part of the shaping us, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have been born in sin. But when we look through the Bible, think about it for a moment. The first happening, God created the world. He created the earth. And in that creation, he created Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve chose to go against God. And what happened was sin entered to the picture. And that happening created fear. And that fear began to manifest itself in hiding from God and using all different kinds of ways to hide from God because the guilt and the shame that Adam and Eve felt forced them into becoming something that God never intended them to be. And it happened. And then God happened to call Abraham, right, and say, Abraham, I want to bless you and I want to cause you to be a blessing to the world. And Abraham went out, and then they entered in Egypt, and Egypt happened, and they were enslaved for 400 years, and God called Moses, and Moses led them out, and across the Red Sea, and it happened. And then they went into the promised land, but somehow they were never able to really submit themselves to God, and what happened over and over again was traumatic event after traumatic event. And then one day, it happened. Jesus was born. And in the birth of Jesus, they became the materialization, if you will, hope. And Jesus in the incarnation lived and taught us how to live. And they watched it happen. And then it also happened that they took him to the cross and they brutally murdered him. And it happened that he was buried. And it happened that he was raised from the dead. And in that resurrection, we began to have hope because it really happened. Paul's very clear about 1 Corinthians 13 that there were all kinds of witnesses. They saw it happen. They talked about it. You see, Christianity is history. Christianity is all of the events that happened. And it happened that Jesus was ascended to the Father. And because he was ascended to the Father, we had Pentecost. And on Pentecost, something happened. The Holy Spirit came and the church was birthed because it happened. 
And the people that were listening to them, they were hearing the disciples speak. And when the Spirit fell, they began to speak in other tongues. And people from all different lands and languages began to hear the gospel message in their own language, even though these were Galileans and they were speaking foreign languages. It happened. And when it happened, the people heard them and said, these guys are drunk. That's what happened. And Peter said, no, 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 we're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. What you see taking place in front of your eyes is what the prophet Joel said would happen. What would happen? The spirit would be poured out and it would come upon his people and they would be filled with the spirit and they would have dreams and visions and it would happen that the church was a birth and it would change the world and it's happened and it's been born. And as we read the scriptures I read to you, as it talks about doctrine, as it talks about what the Spirit inspired men to write, it happened. And we call it doctrine. We call it the story. And when it comes to the reality of God's demonstration of love through Christ on the cross and dying and resurrection, we say it happened. And that builds us confidence and assurance because we don't believe in a fairy tale. We believe in the historicity of a God who came to the earth and died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, and gave us his Spirit. But I fear that for many of us, when we ask the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't include the Holy Spirit. A Christian is someone who goes to church on Sunday. A Christian is someone who has good ideals. A Christian is someone who's moral. A Christian is a person who passes little kids on the head. A Christian doesn't cheat on their taxes. Well, sometimes. Uh, but I'm afraid that when we think about our Christianity, we think about all these things, these high ideals, these moral endeavors, these acts of kindness, the fact that we don't chew and cuss and, and swear and all that stuff. But may I suggest today, as John said it, maybe I should ask the question, have you been born of God? You see, there's no Christianity without the Holy Spirit. The writer says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that we've been saved not by our own works, but through the washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. When John introduces his gospel in chapter 1 and 2, chapter 3 comes to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a religious person, a smart person, a person who follows the ways of God, and he meets Jesus one night, and he says to Jesus, oh, teacher, teach me, and Jesus said, you don't need a teacher, you need a savior, you must be born again. So my question to you is, have you been born again? Have you been to church over and over and over again? Because I find it very difficult to love the way that God calls us to love without what Romans 5, 5 says, that the Holy Spirit has shed love or brought in our hearts. That's the way that we love, and it's not through the energy of our own will, our own pedigree. It's, it's because of the Holy Spirit. And so to be born again of the Spirit is what Christianity is. Born-again Christianity isn't another denomination. It is Christianity. 
And so oftentimes we don't talk about it. But as it happened on Pentecost, we see these events happening and we see without the Spirit of God, there is no church. So think about as we look at our world, we look at creation. It happened, we look at the fall. It happened. We look at redemption in Jesus through the cross and the burial and the resurrection. It happened. And we think one day we say, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, because we expect it to happen that Jesus will come for us. And it is that truth that we believe that if God has done the first three, we have a bet that he's going to do the last one, and we live in confidence. And that's what John is writing to. And that's why John says over and over again, it has happened, and he's given us his spirit. He has given us his spirit. He has given us his spirit. And therefore, we are to be born of God. Because Peter will write in 2 Peter 1.4 that we are a people who are to partake in God's nature. No longer are we to live simply as human beings with a human fallen nature that dictates, even if it's moral, even if it's good, even if it's 90% of the time. I'm not talking about a life that is simply moral. God isn't looking for moral reformation. He's not asking us to turn over a new leaf. He's asking us to be changed from the inside out. And that only happens, friends, through the Holy Spirit. And so when I think about these things that John wanting to remind us of, remember, Nicodemus was religious. He was a part of that religious conformity. And so it was for religious people that needed to be born again. And you know, if you go to the next chapter of the Gospel of John, he meets the woman at the well. She's not rich, she's poor. She's not a man, she's a female. She's not living morally, she's living immorally. And he says to her, you need to be born again too. So whoever you might be, you might be educated, you might not be educated. You might be better off financially than not. You, you might have a healthy home and you must be born again. And I don't think that we totally understand the reality of it because the Holy Spirit is such a, a mysterious character. But make no, make no doubt about it that Father, Son, and Spirit are one and want to be involved with our lives. So simply, what does it mean to be born again? How do we know? And again, it doesn't make us perfect, but it makes us more sensitive, it makes us more convicted, it makes us more hungry. It makes us more attentive. Uh, let me show you a few things that when we think about uh, what does it mean to walk in, in the Spirit, which is what Paul is, is talking about. But, but when I, I ask these questions, and, and maybe the best thing to do is, is to, to ask the question, how do we know? So, has there, as you look back on your life, have you experienced the power of God in your life changing you? Are you different? Are you different this week than you were a few weeks ago, a year ago? Because notice what, what Philippians, Paul says this in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
Is there conflict in your life? Are you conflicted about some of the things you do, some of the things that you say, some of the ways you treat your wife, some of the ways you treat your husband, your kids? Does it hurt you? Do you feel the power of God in your life moving you, not to perfection, but moving you in a direction that says, I don't want to be like that. I want to be more kind. I want to be more loving. I want to be more tender. I want to be more gentle. I want to be more insightful. I want my life to be different. Are you different? Have you experienced the power of God in your life? Let me ask you another thing. Are, are you interested in spiritual things? Or is Sunday morning the only time that you have interest? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Do you have spiritual desires? Do you have spiritual desires about your money? Do you have spiritual desires about your time? Do you have spiritual desires about your relationships? What is that desire, that epithemia, that over-the-top desire? Do you delight in the Lord so that he gives you those desires of your heart? That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what Paul says. Look at Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want do you find yourself looking in the mirror every once in a while and say you idiot the reality of our christianity is that we've not yet arrived but my heart breaks to be more like jesus but only the Holy Spirit can make that happen in your life. And that Spirit moves you to the Word, so you press into the Word. You press into prayer. You press into loving the unlovely because those are the spiritual disciplines that we need to engage in in order for us to experience the intimacy that John offers us in the first four verses of the first chapter. He tells us the objective truth, but he wants us to have intimacy with God, and that intimacy happens by forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. It happens by taking up another person's burden. It happens happens by giving a few bucks to the homes. Whatever it is, there are moments when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and stretching us in ways that make us feel uncomfortable, and that's the conflict that we want to live with. But if we could never experience that conflict, there's something wrong. If there's never a moment in our life where we go, you, we don't say, oh my goodness, why did I do that? Why did I say that? There's something wrong. Again, I'm not asking for perfection. I'm asking for growth. When we talk about walking in the Spirit, when we talk about walking by faith, we're talking about movement. Are you moving? Are you different? Look at what um, another thing that says in terms of conviction of sin. Are you convicted? Are there moments in your life where the Spirit of God convicts you of your sinfulness, of your unkind word? of your unkind look, of your attitude, of your laziness, of your inability to pursue God and give him some time because he's given you his life. Conviction of sin. Notice what Jesus prayed this. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes in chapter 16, 8 of John, he will prove the world to be in the wrong and 
about sin and righteousness and judgment. Sounds like a real downer today, doesn't it? But it's not. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to live and love and laugh and be a people of God that turn the world upside down so that people say, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, but they're drunk. But the reality of it, look at Romans seven eighteen. It says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Paul says in verse 24 of Romans 7, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul would say again in, in Ephesians 4.30, he talked about grieving. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Have you felt it? Have you sensed it? Have you felt that grieving, that pain, that, that sense? Who hasn't? If you're honest, every time I want to do good, I find evil present with me. Have you ever tried to do something and didn't do it? Have you done what you don't want to do? Have you not done what you should do? If the Apostle Paul could say that he changed the world, how about you and me? Because until we get to that place of vulnerability and humility and honesty and transparency, what need do we have for the Holy Spirit? The Spirit wants to come to us and speak to us through the word and speak to us through prayer and God knows maybe in fasting and in, in whatever it is, I want to change. I want to change. I want to be more like Jesus. And all these things that John is asking of me, honestly, it's like when the disciples said, oh my goodness, Jesus said, it's like a rich man trying to get through the eye of the needle. And they said, well, then who can be saved? Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, but God. Those are the two words that change lives. But God. So how about it? Is your heart tender towards sin? What about fruit? Do you see Galatians 5, 16 through 18? It says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are to be led by the spirit. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. It's not the, it's not the burden of the law that motivates your morality. It's the spirit that convicts, encourages, comforts, helps. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and such, against such there is no law. Is that your heart? That's what I want our heart to be. Because when we think about the Spirit, think about what Paul says about access to God. He says, because we're justified by faith and we have the Spirit, we have access to God. And then every parent and every child wants to have access to the Father. We have adoption, the Spirit of adoption. It says here in verse 15, it says, of Romans 8, it says, the Spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. It is the spirit that brings us to the place of no condemnation, but the reality of the spirit's comfort. Even though we're convicted of sin, we experience the grace of the spirit and the forgiveness of God through the spirit. 
What's your relationship to the Holy Spirit? Has it happened? Because if it hasn't happened, I don't care how many data points you connect. Now, it's different for everybody. But it needs to happen. Let's pray. Father, we come with great expectation because you have promised that if we asked, you'd give us the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray in the recesses of all of our hearts, if there's anyone here that's been just a churchgoer and a good person and has high ideals and helps people every once in a while, but they need to be born again. I pray that this morning, this new birth, this regeneration would be a part of their life. If you're here this morning, you've never asked the Holy Spirit into your life. If you've never said, God, it's not enough to be moral, it's not enough to be kind, it's not enough to be religious, it's not enough to have high ideals, but the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in Romans 8, 11, is the spirit that wants to live in us and quicken us to live differently. So maybe that's your prayer. Maybe in a moment, maybe you need to pray, God, would you give me your Holy Spirit? Father, I am grateful that it happened. I'm grateful that you changed my life. And God, I've not arrived, but I am grateful that you are walking with me in this journey. Forgive me when I fall short of what your spirit's desire is. But God, I pray you would continue to make me tender, that you would convict me of sin. You would stir my heart to spend time in your word and in prayer that you would help me to live in the confidence of my sonship, that I would spend time in courageously pursuing and having access to you, and that God, you who are the giver of gifts, would simply allow me to exercise those gifts. God, make me passionate. Make me a people who know how to stir the flame. Bless your people. Bless your church. And for those that have received your spirit this morning, may their life be a happening that spills out into those that they love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this encourages you to dive deeper into your relationship with God through prayer, scripture, worship, and community. We hope you can join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30. For more information, go to sisterschurch.com. Be blessed, friends.